This is Law Bites, a podcast with Michael Geist. Honorable Senators, we are meeting to continue our examination of Bill C-18, an act respecting online communication platforms that make news content available to persons in Canada. For our first panel, we are pleased to welcome before the committee from the McDonnell Laurier Institute, Peter Menzies, a senior fellow who is joining us by video conference. Um, we also have from an organization called Les Amis, Friends, Marla Boltman, Executive Director by video conference, Sarah Andrews, Director, Government and Media Relations by video conference, and here live in person we have as well with us Michael Geist, Canada Research Chair in Internet and E-Commerce Law Faculty of Law, University of Ottawa. Bill C-18, the Online News Act, has now shifted to the Senate Transportation and Communications Committee, same committee that spent months examining Bill C-11, is back to review a bill that has led Meta to say it plans to block news sharing in Canada altogether if the bill passes in its current form. I appeared before the committee earlier this month with a discussion that focused on a wide range of issues, including the risks of mandating payments for links, the non-compliance of the bill with international copyright obligations, why the CBC should not be included in the payment for link system, and my view on how a fund would be a better approach. This week's Law Bites podcast takes you inside the committee room for my opening statement and exchanges with half a dozen senators. It starts with the opening statement. Good morning. As you heard, my name is Michael Geist. I'm a law professor at the University of Ottawa, where I hold the Canada Research Chair in Internet and E-Commerce Law, and I'm a member of the Centre for Law, Technology and Society. I appear in a personal capacity representing only my own views. I've been quite critical of Bill C-18, but that criticism does not stem from doubts about the importance of a robust, diverse news sector. However, I believe that the bill as currently constructed raises significant concerns involving the free flow of information online, freedom of expression, Canada's international copyright and trade obligations. If left unchanged, I believe it is likely to cause more harm than good, including the possibility of blocked news sharing or indexing on Internet platforms. There's a lot to discuss, including the bill's implications for an independent press, I think the distortion of competition, dependence on foreign Internet companies, suitability of the CRTC administration, and how the emergence of generative AI renders the bill, which does not cover services like ChatGPT, already outdated. But with limited time, I'd like to focus on five issues and propose some fixes. First, the bill is fundamentally about mandated payments for links. Indeed, last week, Mr. Ripley acknowledged to this committee that without linking, companies like Google and Facebook are not digital news intermediaries under the bill and therefore fall outside of it. Supreme Court of Canada has warned that creating liability for links could impair the way the Internet functions. Yet payment for links are at the core of this bill, and it doesn't matter if it's an aggregate charge for all links or a per-link fee. The harmful impact is the same, including the prospect that the same payment for links principle be applied to other policy objectives and the foundation for sharing information online placed at risk. The solution, I believe Section 2, Sub 2, should be removed, and the definition of making available of news content, which is a requirement to be a DNI, limited to reproduction, which I think is how most Canadians would understand the notion of use of news content. 
If Google or Facebook publish full text of articles and run ads against them, let's talk about ensuring fair compensation. But if it's just links, often posted by the media companies themselves, it should fall outside of the framework. Second, the definition of eligible news business in Section 27 should be revisited by limiting it to outlets that actually produce news. Government started by supporting the sector several years ago with tax measures based on the creation of qualified Canadian journalism organizations defined through CRA criteria. Bill C-18, as you know, expands on that approach to include broadcasters, who the, pub, who the PBO estimates will receive 75% of revenues from the bill, as Mr. Menzies mentioned. But the House Committee added another eligibility criteria based on solely on holding a CRTC license. This expansion, I think, raises trade concerns, given that only Canadians can obtain those licenses, and turns the bill into a subsidy program without regard for production of actual news. Third, this bill violates copyright norms by suspending limitations and exceptions from the bargaining process in Section 24. This runs counter to the foundation of Canadian copyright law and may violate Section Article 10 Sub 1 of the Berne Convention, which has a mandatory right of quotation that expressly includes newspaper articles. The provision should be removed. Fourth, my friends won't like this much, but the inclusion of the CBC within Bill, the Bill C-18 framework is a mistake. In a world where Canadians often encounter paywalls or increased misinformation when seeking out reliable news, the CBC should be welcoming anyone that extends its reach and accessibility of its news content for which the public has already paid. Indeed, given concerns about public broadcasters competing with the private sector for ad dollars, to have it also compete for DNI money makes matters worse. Section 28 should be amended to make all public broadcasters, federal and provincial, only eligible upon the enactment of relevant regulations. Finally, fifth, there are better ways to do this, including a fund model that served as the basis for the shattered mirror report that launched much of this public policy debate. A fund based on the Canadian Canada Media Fund model to support actual journalism with mandated contributions that are based on ad revenues for the large internet companies would address concerns about mandated payments for links, the independence of the press, and the myriad of eligibility concerns. Perhaps a way to do that would be in the Section 11 exemption order provision in the bill, which could be expanded to give the CRTC the power to exempt based on contributions to the fund. There's much more to discuss, but I'll stop there. I look forward to your questions. Senator Paula Simons was first up with questions focusing on copyright, public broadcaster considerations, and international perspectives on what it might mean to have Google or Facebook block news sharing or news indexing altogether. Professor Geis, I'd like to start with you, and I'd like to give you a chance to sort of drill down into a couple of points that you passed over. One is about the Berne Convention and the right of citation. Can you tell me in a little bit more detail how you think C-18 may be in violation of the Berne Convention? Sure. Thanks for the question, Senator Simons. Uh, at Section 24, there are copyright-related provisions in this bill. And in particular, the provision states that um, for greater certainty um, at Section 24, limitations and exceptions to copyright under the Copyright Act do not limit the scope of the bargaining process. In other words, the ability for DNIs in particular to cite the fact that 
where they are making use of these materials, because it's really just linking or indexing in some instances, uh, all they're doing is exercising fair dealing rights. Indeed, arguably, it's not even, you don't even have to get to fair dealing. You can argue this is de minimis. Uh, the fact that they can't even raise that fair dealing right, which is a user's right as has been uh, defined by the Supreme Court of Canada, I think runs afoul of the basic principle that you find in the Berne Convention, that you have a positive right of quotation. And just quickly to note, that under the Berne Convention, this is one of the rare instances where it is a positive right. So this is an obligation to have the right of quotation. Effectively to say that you can't cite that right as part of this, I believe may infringe those rights. You then said that you thought that uh, the CBC and provincial organizations like TVO should only be included if there was an enactment of relevant regulations. To you, what would those relevant regulations look like? You know, candidly, my view is that they, should, they simply should not be included at all. But if there is a way to formulate it in a manner that one doesn't, I don't think, harm the, the desire to create a robust private sector in the, in the new sector, uh, is one, it would be one part of it. I've talked to a number of independent players who have deep concern where they say the CBC is their primary competitor in their small local news market. And the idea that they would have to compete not just with public tax dollars from the CBC, but also Google... Uh, and Facebook money has effectively forced many of those independents to participate in the system. They've had no choice to be part of it. My, my, my broader view, though, is that I just don't think it's appropriate here. I think if you are a supporter of the CBC, your goal is to make it relevant and different from what we get in the private sector. Mm -hmm. And the way we do that is to ensure that it is the home of access for all Canadians who don't have to surmount a paywall and don't have to uh, be concerned about misinformation. And so the way you do that is encourage access, not say that, no, th these are all the same and you've got to pay to try to facilitate that kind of access. And if I've got time for one more, finally, uh, using your expertise in sort of international, uh, the business side of things, what remedies might the Canadian government have should Google and Facebook cease to display or index Canadian news sites? Are there any remedies in law uh, that, that we could take as a nation to, to counterbail that? It's an interesting question. You know, obviously we're part of, part of a trade agreement, and so directly targeting uh, companies from the United States may raise trade-related implications. I have to say, I, I think, first off, Google and Facebook are, somewhat, are slightly different in this context. You know, Facebook, um, and you'll, I know you'll be hearing from both of these companies, Facebook is, is about sharing of links posted by users, often by the media companies themselves, to require a company to, uh, to, to continue that part of the service if it's uneconomic, I mean, I must admit, I, it's unsurprising that they might react this way, uh, and I'm not sure that there is some sort of power to force someone to do that. In the context of, the, of Google and indexing, I'm also unconvinced that there is something in international law that can force someone to index, um, although I think that certainly we would be looking at whether or not competition laws apply and whether or not the way in which that gets implemented raise potential competition concerns. Part of it, I suppose, depends in Google's context about how they, if they were to stop indexing and then linking to news, how they would go about doing that, what other content remains available, and whether that raises, say, anti-competitive type uh, considerations. Senator Peter Harder had some questions focused on the Australian experience and its implications for Canada. My question is for Professor Geist, um, uh, and it goes back to try to go back to first principles here. Um, what is the government trying to do? And you have suggested that there might be an o another policy option available to the government, the fund model. Um, uh, 
Uh, is this simply a dispute between a professor and the government with respect to the policy approach? Uh, Australia has adopted a model not unlike the Government of Canada's proposal, uh, and it has not experienced some of the uh, concerns that you expressed with respect to either uh, treaties or, or competition law or the Berne Convention. Um, are you raising uh, concerns, which are legitimate concerns, by the way, I'm not disputing that, uh, to reinforce your policy preference? Uh, and how do, you, how do you weigh the right of Parliament to uh, make a policy choice that you may not agree with, but nonetheless uh, move forward uh, despite the concerns that you have expressed? Okay, thank, thanks for that, Senator Harder. First off, with, with respect to Australia, you know, you cited, for example, international conventions. Australia doesn't reference the limitations and exceptions. So uh, there's a reason that there are copyright concerns in the Canadian bill that aren't found in Australia. Australia doesn't include that kind of provision. Australia's bill also has had the effect where the code actually hasn't taken effect, as, as, as you know. And there are, there are differences of opinion as to how effective it's been. You know, certainly if you hear from Mr. Sims at some point, I, I'm sure he'll tell you how great it is. There are others who have looked at it who have expressed some concerns. And I think to, to uh, Friends' point around transparency, the, the Australian model has been even further lacking in transparency. It's just it's primarily speculation around this. You know, as for uh, difference of opinion, in some instances, I've, I have experienced firsthand some of the kinds of concerns that I've raised. For example, I have had op-eds that were critical of uh, the, the relevant minister on this bill, uh, killed by, approved internally and then killed by the paper, one of the large papers, uh, because it wasn't consistent with the kind of messaging that they wanted to have. So when, when I say there are concerns around press independence, I think this is very real. And when I see the government say they are concerned about ensuring press independence, ensuring that CR CRTC isn't overly involved in this, uh, ensuring that there, are, that there is a sustainable approach to this, but at the same time doesn't create some of these harms and raise the linking issues that I've raised, I'm suggesting the fund because I think that that actually solves some of these questions. You know, I think you can make the case that um, there are still other ways, but if there, is a, if there is the view that we've got to find a mechanism to get these large companies to contribute, a fund actually goes a long way to creating this a bit more arm's length. It addresses the transparency-related concerns because now we're not focused on these secret deals. We have up front what's being contributed, and we have money going to actual journalism not to executives, not to uh, hedge funds, not to, not, to, not to companies that may not even produce news, but rather those, regardless of size or scope or where they are in Canada, who are producing journalism. I have time for a follow-up. Uh, I think, uh, Professor Geist, we've all experienced uh, what we thought were excellent articles that haven't passed the, uh, uh, the editor's um, uh, screen, uh, despite the encouragement from others. Um, how do you uh, look at what the UK is contemplating and what, how Europe has approached this? And indeed, uh, the, um, uh, in the United States, the American Journalism Competition and Protection Act uh, is very much um, in this space as well. How do you judge their approaches? You know, well, listen, the, the U.S. approach, as we know, it, it started to move in a certain direction and then um, obviously did not go forward. Perhaps um, they'll revisit that and we'll, we'll, they'll find a mechanism to move forward. I think, listen, it's, it's clear that many countries are experiencing these same issues. We're obviously not alone. People are looking for solutions. 
And you know, Australia had a certain first mover, and so people are looking for something, and so uh, we find them following that Australia approach. Frankly, I think we have an, alter we have an opportunity here to put forward something that is more effective, uh, that deals with some of the real negative implications of that Australian model and, or of now the C18 model that might well prove to be uh, a more popular approach around the world. One in which if the goal, as I say, is to fund journalism, let's find a way to fund journalism but not have the kind of intervention type issues that this creates. Within the policy choice that the government and the House of Commons has now ag agreed on, would you not say that C18 is in fact an improvement on the Australian model for in part the reasons of transparency that you already cited? Well, I think that there are some elements of transparency, but we've just heard um, witnesses talk, talk specifically about how, all the problems with transparency. So I don't, uh, I'm, not, I'm not convinced you get to that, that the government gets to claim this is a great victory for transparency when we've just heard some very strong submissions saying that transparency is still severely lacking in this bill. But fundamentally, I guess my view is that you know, I, 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 I think some of Thank the negative you, uh, implications here are so significant um, that, it's hard, that, that it's hard to say, well, this is an improvement on that bill. Senator Pamela Wallen focused on the impact of the bill, in particular, the way the two large Internet companies have reacted and what might happen should the bill pass in its current form. My first question is to um, Mr. Menzies and Mr. Geist. I'd like to, Professor Geist, I'd like to hear from both of you. It's generally about the role of government and its impact and control over access to information. I'm a believer, given my professional history in free speech and free expression, but that is a two-way street. It's not just about what we get to say, it's about what we get to hear. Uh, this bill troubles me because I believe it has great potential to restrict our access uh, as citizens to information if the streaming services stop carrying news because of this uh, linked taxation system. Are you concerned, both of you, and uh, Mr. Professor Geist will go to you first and then Mr. Menzies, are you concerned about the reduction or the constraint and restraint on the exchange of ideas and information? Thanks for the question, Senator Wallen. Uh, Liz, I am concerned clearly about the, what I think is a fairly likely outcome of this bill, uh, which is that large platforms directly affected by this um, will, will stop or find ways to stop the news sharing so that they extricate themselves from being defined as digital news intermediaries. I think Facebook has been entirely consistent since this bill was, was introduced in saying that it's just not a significant part of uh, their platform, and so that they, that they would stop doing that. And I think there are people that use Facebook clearly for news. Uh, I think the concerns are even greater with respect to Google, were they to move forward, because I think people, of course, do rely on it. And I also think, I also want to highlight, I made a brief reference to it. We are clearly moving towards more and more generative AI-type uh, systems. And if you compare, for example, the, what you get on ChatGPT, versus what you would get on the Bing platform, where there is some citations and links back to some of the underlying sources. The idea that we'd have a bill that, one, doesn't even include generative AI, because it's not indexing and it's not linking. And even further, that we would actually in encourage not providing citations, um, because if, once you start providing those citations and those links, you, you potentially wrap yourself in this bill if you were to be included as a DNI, strikes me as in so counterproductive. 
we want to ensure people get both uh, reliable information, there are ways to counter that misinformation, and they can find those reliable sources. And once you start saying mandated payment for links, you're actually driving in precisely the opposite direction. Senator Donna Dasko turned the focus to the CBC and whether it's appropriate to have the public broadcaster be part of the Bill C-18 system. If you look at um, at the data in terms of where Canadians get their news, and Reuters did a survey, um, uh, I think it was last year, uh, they found that for Canadians, the top sources of news uh, English uh, for English Canadians are CTV, CBC, and Global. And whether that be offline or online, it's the same three top sources. And for French language, it's Radio Canada and TVA. So this says quite clearly that these are vital sources of news for Canadians. And Professor Geist, Mr. Menzies, um, how can we remove CBC, just as, as one example, when we're looking at the most important sources of news for Canadians, even though these broadcasters obviously do other things. But news is, is one of the things that Canadians uh, uh, are using these networks for. And, and, and so therefore it would seem that uh, a bill that's supposed to be directed at news organizations giving them compensation would have to, would have to include these organizations in uh, under its reach, including CBC. Professor Geis. I'm reminded of the, the song, one of these things is not like the other. Uh, one of things, these things doesn't belong. And that's the public broadcaster. They're not the same. And, you know, when, when I hear, for example, friends say that, well, in an ideal world, there'd be full, fully, it would be fully public funded and then it wouldn't need to rely on that. In my, uh, on this, these kind of other sources, in my view, you never get there if you don't provide a rationale for the CBC to exist where it is different uh, and it meets certain public interest goals. And to me, I agree with you. I mean, your data highlights that people do rely on it. That's a good thing. Uh, for news, yes, and that's a, and that's a very good thing. But I don't think that means that that we that we still should be uh, that it should be included here. I think it's the opposite. I think it highlights that there there is a now a powerful rationale for why we should be funding a public broadcaster that makes it different from some of those other private broadcasters and private sources. And then what makes then what is essential is to ensure that as many Canadians as possible have access and awareness to that information. So we shouldn't be throwing up barriers to be able to access information that we view as both reliable, credible, and it is publicly funded. We've already paid for it. Senator Fabian Manning focused on trust issues, in particular whether the bill is likely to either increase or decrease trust in the media. My first question is for uh, Mr. Geisen. We've been hearing about the demise of local news for years, and hearing it again here this morning. Indeed, even large newsrooms have been closing or amalgamating. We've seen that a lot with Bell Media and Rogers buying up all of the outlets. In many markets, they own all of the radio and TV outlets between the two of them. So how much responsibility for the demise of traditional news is because of Facebook and Google? And how much is the doing of the very corporations who will now receive more money to provide less? Is there a, I, I, I question and I ask you, is there any guarantee that the money that they will be receiving will be invested back into news? Well, thank you, Senator Mann. You, you've raised several issues. First, and I think even Mr. Ripley acknowledged it during his, his appearance, the, 
the, the challenges that the sector has faced is multifaceted. It's not just about platforms. We, we could go back to, to Craigslist. We could go to a range of different things that have, have impacted revenues. I also think the, the notion that somehow the success of those companies is built upon news is a, just an obvious fallacy. News just isn't that important to these services. And while they have captured ad revenues to be sure, it's because they've offered a better ad model, not because they're offering news on those platforms. And so that's, I mean, that's, I think, the reality of the economics behind this. I think we have seen these closures. We have also seen the same studies that point to the 400-odd closures over the last decade or so highlight at least a couple hundred new startups that have entered into this space. And so I think we, ought, we need to recognize there is innovation taking place that, here. That doesn't mean that government can't act, but we are seeing some of these newer players come into the marketplace, and quite frankly, I think this legislation harms their ability to be competitive. Many of them didn't want this. They've had little choice but to participate in it because they say, how are we going to compete if our main competitor, let's say, is the CBC in a local market, and suddenly we're in an environment where CBC is now not just publicly funded but also now Google and Facebook funded, so they're participating in this. I would have been, I, I think that frankly the government came up with some pretty innovative approaches with things like local journalism funding, with the tax credit systems. We didn't really allow that to play out in the way that it might have. And I do worry that by trying to steer the majority of this money towards some of those large legacy players, notably large companies like Bell, Bell and Rogers, we end up with an environment where some of those innovative players are not going to survive just because uh, the, the deck is even further stacked against them. Uh, thank you. A lot of discussion in today's world is about trust in the media, and we hear comments about fake news, and, and you know it's constant that you know. And, and I, I talk to ordinary people, say I don't believe a thing I hear on the on the news anymore. Uh, I'm just wondering about Bill C-18. You know, and governments, I guess, trying to uh, you know restore that trust or, or at least to, to cement it. I'm just wondering how you see uh, Bill C-18, and I ask this to any other witness that want to answer. How will that strengthen Canadians' trust in news? Do you see C-18 doing any of that? No, I, I'll, go, I'll try to go quickly, make sure everyone has a chance. I think it does the opposite. Um, I think that it undermines trust in a couple of important, important ways. Um, one, I think it undermines trust because I think it does skew coverage. It may be the case that people have had op-eds cancelled. I think anybody who fairly looks at the coverage of this bill within mainstream media will acknowledge that there has been a blurring of editorial and the business interests of many of these entities, which I think ultimately undermines trust in those entities because they've put their business interests on the front page as editorial. Uh, I think further, you know, by invoking essentially Google and Facebook say, well, we want perhaps as much as 35% of our of news outlets costs funded by these two companies. How can we trust the coverage of those companies when they are so dependent on it? That's why I've put forward the fund model, because I think that we need to create a system whereby it is arm's length between where the funding is coming from and, and who actually directly benefits. And the way we've established now, I think you can have uh, companies that can survive, but I'm not so sure that they're going to be trusted when people know that two-thirds of their funding come either from Silicon Valley or from the federal government. Committee Chair Senator Leo Husekis wrapped up the hour with questions about the CBC. Thank you for the compelling uh, testimony here today. And it's, it's, 
the message is crystal clear from all three of our witnesses that we have a government that's pumping in more than $1.2 billion uh, into a broadcaster. They allow them to compete in the marketplace to soak up a lot of revenue at the expense of independent news media outlets. Um, but my concern is we've been allowing this and perpetuating this now for a number of years uh, with this government, supported by Parliament, and we're doing it uh, without any hesitation. We're, 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 encouraging, we're encouraging them to compete, and we're consumed by it. But when we look at the ratings, and no one's touched upon that, can somebody explain to me how a government can give so much to a news outlet that has so little in terms of ratings compared to other independent news outlets across the country. If anybody wants to comment on that. I think that they've, they've put, we put in a lot of money into this. There's been promises for more. I think the mistake is to say that, well, rather than the public dollars putting in more money, let's get Google and Facebook to fund it. Because I think at the end of the day, it undermines the whole rationale for a public broadcaster. I, you know, I listen to the CBC radio. A lot of people do. I think people do value this and value it as a potential source of, of credible, reliable information. But it's hard to be that um, when what you're doing is put, turning over a bunch of your funding over to a couple of U.S.-based tech giants. And it's hard to do that when you become indistinguishable from other sources. Instead, we ought to say, how do we leverage that billion or $1.2 billion? And one of the ways we do that is to make sure it is as broadly and readily accessible as possible. And it is not the same as what you might find on a global or a CTV or in some of the other media markets. And what this bill does is it says there is no difference. We just want to see these guys pay up. That's the Law Bites podcast for this week. If you have comments, suggestions, or other feedback, write to lawbites at pobox.com. Follow the podcast on Twitter at lawbitespod or Michael Geist at mgeist. You can download the latest episodes from my website at michaelgeist.ca or subscribe via RSS at Apple Podcast, Google, or Spotify. The Law Bites podcast is produced by Gerardo LeBron LeBoy. Music by the LeBoy Brothers, Gerardo and Jose LeBron LeBoy. Credit information for the clips featured in this podcast can be found in the show notes for this episode at michaelgeist.ca. I'm Michael Geist. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.